Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. So leadership, it's its a topic that uh, has been discussed for many years, specifically in the design and manufacturing industry, and there's many, many views and opinions on it. So that's the subject for today. We're going to be discussing how and what we can do to create the next generation of digitally empowered leaders. So we've got two very special guests here with us to explore what and how we can blaze a trail and create the kind of leaders of tomorrow that are digitally savvy and digitally empowered. So I'd like to welcome Nick Hussey, CEO of The Manufacturer, and Jason Cole of Jonathan Lee Recruitment. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Asif. So it's a topic that we said is discussed quite heavily uh, amongst the industry. And there's lots of, you know, sort of MBA and Harvard definitions of leadership. But I wanted to start with, in the most simplest possible terms, um, in the context of our industry, what is leadership? Uh, so Nick, maybe I could I could start with you. How would you define the role of leadership in our industry, particularly now? I, th- I think it's a, a really good question. And actually, uh, you, you couldn't want for a time when uh, leadership is more important and more challenging. Uh, for me, and, and and this does come from an MBA, but for me, I've always picked up on this, this idea of the servant leader, uh, one who is really uh, responsible to all of the employees and the wider business, uh, the wider business ecosystem, uh, and takes responsibility for all aspects of, of the business, how the business performs, how the people are treated and how they perform, uh, and the impact on the environment. So that speaks again potentially to the to the idea of the triple bottom line uh, and, and the three core areas of business. So so your social impact, your environmental impact, and uh, your impact on your employees and and, and shareholders. Uh, for me, with with digital leadership now. That role is about setting the path, setting the agenda and the direction for the business, and then utilizing the, the, the digital, the ability to use digital uh, techniques and digital technology to analyze things better so that you can produce better evidence of, of uh, as a leader uh, and to be used for leadership. Uh, and that digital, that, that, that ability to get evidence and, and data uh, as part of that leadership process is is crucial. And it's something I think that we miss, we don't appreciate fully, uh, and I don't think we fully understand yet. Mm. Yeah, really interesting insight. And I think as I was listening to you speak, you know, I'm, I'm really aware of the fact that uh, the technology has kind of accelerated at quite a dramatic rate in terms of what we can literally do, what's possible. 
and um, it's underpinning a lot of the things that we do in the workspace. So it surely it must have impacted the kind of role or even concept, uh, you know, of a leader. So, um, Jason, from from your work that you do, talking to lots of you know CEOs and, and manufacturing leaders, how do you think the concept of leadership has been disrupted or changed uh, over the past sort of five, five years? Yeah, I think at the moment, Asif, we've um, uh, leadership has has become. Um, more of a necessity than than ever before. Um, I think leadership um, stretches uh, to all stakeholders, be they internal or external, because a relationship between um, a business, whether it be manufacturing or a service provider, um, serves responsibility to its own workforce, but also to its supply chain and its customer base. So leadership isn't just an internal function. Leadership is um, is, is a, a much more comprehensive uh, provision than that. Uh, uh, Nick talked about um, this sort of a leader being like a servant of, of the organization and sort of having a level of responsibility in the triple bottom line. And I remember a time when um, the boss, the leader of the company, that person was expected to know everything, be able to do everything better than you, and would set a direction and say, this is what we're going to do. Um, now, that doesn't really seem to fit the sort of concept of the servant responsibility kind of thing. So I, I guess leadership has changed, but what changes have you seen? I mean, have you seen that sort of transition from this kind of autocratic, do as I say, or, or you know, get out of my face kind of leadership to this more servant res- approach? Most, def- most definitely. Um, I, I mean, I was in the beginning of my relationship with the automotive industry, working for an OEM, you know, I, I used to see um, uh, more of a... Um, a stronger, almost more um, dictatorial uh, style. Um, but of late, um, in more recent years, um, more inclusive leadership styles undoubtedly deliver much, much better results because I think the immersion uh, of leaders in an organisation uh, brings... Uh, better buying from the breadth of the workforce. I think the workforce feels it can convey uh, the full facts um, to the to the leadership group, um, and there's a there's a stronger sense of truth uh, that comes through the organisation, and that can only be beneficial. I think. I think the digitalisation um, element. That, that just to recap on what Nick was saying, um, there's a tremendous opportunity now to use digital illustration to help underpin the purpose and the validity of that leadership as well. Uh, and I think there's a great opportunity there to embrace what's happening perhaps with, um, you know, the movements within Industry 4 um, d- to help drive um, th- that, that, that arterial uh, function within an organisation by underpinning it with um, real data. And I really like what you said about this inclusive nature. So I, you know, in my mind, I'm building a picture of the sort of leadership we need desperately in this country and even globally are those servants of the organization who are responsible and inclusive. Um, it's always been a challenging job to be a leader of a design or manufacturing business, hasn't it? But never mind you know, what's happened recently with the pandemic. But if you think about currently the sort of challenges that are on the, on the sort of inboxes or, or, or plates of, of the leaders of today, what are the sort of key challenges you think they're facing? So, Nick, I know you, you talk to many, many people in your work at the manufacturer, kind of you know, straw polling and having conversations. But what, what are they telling you? What are the top challenges leaders are facing kind of right now? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really uh, uh, challenging time for people at the moment. The, the, 
the problem, and actually Jason began to began to outline it a bit. You can't know everything, and and you need to accept as a leader that you shouldn't know everything. Uh, and so the the big challenge is is being across enough of the technology and the developments and the innovation and the, de- the design developments to have a, a broad understanding and a broad perspective of what you should be looking at, but then having that faith and trust in your team to say, okay, we know we need this particular uh, development. Uh, I'm not going to choose the technology. I'm going to leave that to, to you guys to, to go out there and work out what we should be using, how it integrates with our existing technology, uh, what the steps are that we need to, to begin implementation, what training we need, so that you you have to be able to to accept that you can't know everything, accept that the change the technology is changing incredibly quickly, uh, and that you're going to have to just have that broad perspective. Trust your 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 teams to to understand what they need to understand in much more detail, uh, and then be prepared to be bold uh, and 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 go for it. You you can't sit back. And I think uh, historically, perhaps we in the manufacturing sector have been a little bit reticent to 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 be bold with some of these decisions. Uh, and I think now is is it's really becoming clear that if you don't act, if you're not bold, if you don't invest, then you really will be left behind uh, and very, very quickly. So as a leader, you have to be uh, prepared to just, just uh, allow other people to make those decisions, invest in that tech and, and be confident uh, and determined to help them progress and proceed and, and, and get that job done and move on to another level and then look again you know, immediately to look again. Jason, do you think that the leadership of today is comfortable with, because what Nick was talking about there is um, really contrary to, I guess, how how management has been developed is you are the expert, you must know everything, you must have all the answers, almost like the hero leadership style. Um, How do you think the current leadership of of our industry is adapting to this kind of change? Is it an easy thing for them to do or or do you think they're they're really (laughs) struggling? Um, I, I, well, I think necessity is a mother of invention, isn't it? Really, Asif. You know, um, I mean, let's face it. You know, the, the alterations in in the manufacturing sector are unprecedented, and, and the velocity of those alterations will will uh, it will will increasingly increase if that's not an alliteration. Um, uh, but manufacturing has always been demanding, hasn't it? It's always been demanding physically, and actually. It's always been demanding emotionally as well. It's fairly high octane. You know, of all sectors, you know, man- manufacturing is draws arguably the greatest passion in any sector anywhere. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think um, I think leaders that have come to the fore and, and are in place now have seen and experienced those alterations. You know, um, something as fundamental as I don't know. Um, the changes in logistics, for instance, you know, just in time coming in. Prior to that culture, leadership style didn't have the same challenges that that has brought. Um, because with that has come globalization of supply chain, hasn't it? You know, and and all of those other things. So I think um, there's there's been um, there's been a necessity to all alter the style of leadership, and I think that that that's come through with the demands that have been placed upon um, workforces culturally and the alterations that they've had to put in place to 
adapt to change. So there's been less less of a sort of um, less of a permanency of leadership style. Uh, looking back at when I started in the automotive sector, for instance, um, to, to what we're seeing now, it's much more malleable. Uh, agility is 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 highly necessary, um, and I think with that we've seen um, probably a greater uh, realization that a collaborative style um, to work with the um, you know sort of the heads of the pillars that sit below that that, that hierarchy. Um, to, to work together to deliver the overall remit, really. So let's uh, shift our focus on what does good look like? Nick, uh, when you think of really good leadership in the design and manufacturing sector, who who springs to mind uh, uh, that, that you think, wow, that person is a role model uh, and um, you know we should all aspire to be more like them? Any- Actually, it's a, it's, it's a real challenge. I think, uh, and Jason mentioned it earlier, we, we used to have a sort of cult of uh, hero leaders. And nowadays, uh, apart from the city, which still seems absolutely obsessed with uh, the CEO being uh, all important and, and a bit like a football manager, you know, they get one chance, if they don't get it right, they're fired and that's it. They're never any good again and, and things like that. You've only got a few who stand out globally and Elon Musk is, is probably probably the, the, the standout one there, although absolutely the antithesis of everything we're talking about in many ways. He does try to get across everything. He does try to understand all the detail. Uh, he, he, he ends up doing his own coding, despite the fact he's you know, launching space rockets and, 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 and all sorts of other things. So the, finding those um, leaders within the sector, there, there'll be names that are in my head, but they won't be famous because the leaders that we get uh, that become famous or that are in the public domain, other than the likes of Musk, tend to be the leaders of the bigger organizations. And in many ways, by the time they're at that level, their role is no longer leading the organization. It's much more involved with looking after the investor relations and PR and corporate governance type issues rather than really running the businesses and being the leader of individual uh, factories, individual divisions, individual teams. And I'm thinking of the likes of um, uh, BAE and Rolls-Royce, et cetera, where, where you know, Warren and uh, um, uh, Nigel Whitehead, you know, they've got very different roles to to the people who genuinely make that business tick and and drive the teams on. Uh, those those are, tend to be the sort of um, uh, divisional managers, uh, divisional CEOs, those sorts of people who probably don't make public domain. We probably know their names very well, but uh, they wouldn't be famous. Um, but there are there are one or two who've who've come across my radar uh, over the years, and and one who's who springs to mind is Andrew Churchill from JJ Churchill, which is a a small engineering, a relatively small engineering business. And what I loved about Andrew uh, uh, was uh, super intelligent set out his plan and, and really knew his plan and would would tell anybody the plans for the business. And they were quite aggressive and quite um uh well they were extremely well well thought through um but they were very much a change of direction for the business and a very bold uh, investment uh, series of decisions and, and tactical changes, strategic changes to the to the business direction. Uh, but he did it with such confidence and and vigor. 
Uh, but, you know, had I been working for the firm, I'm confident I would have been right behind his strategy and things. So that that name certainly sticks out. Um, uh, but as I say, it's very difficult to pick out those hero leaders these days because uh, we, we don't we don't really eulogize in the same way that we used to over them. And I think that's probably the right thing. You know, we, we, it's much more, as Jason said, much more of a collaborative um, uh, activity nowadays, and 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 rightly so. That's a really interesting you know, point that we're making because I know you guys do uh, the sort of the top one hundred kind of every year. We you sort of actively go out and seek out um, inspirational people who are doing inspirational things, and they're not necessarily the sort of MD or the CEO. So you know we're getting this sense that and I know, I know Andrew and I totally agree. He's a he's a very kind of inspirational leader. But do you have to be right at the top of the business to be a leader or could you be sort of halfway up the business and still achieve <clears throat> similar results? So it's kind of an interesting uh, kind of debate. Uh, so if, 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 if the best leaders are kind of almost, we don't know who they are, but they are very clear with their vision, they're very open about sharing their ideas and strategies with other people, and they're very collaborative and inclusive. And going back to what you said earlier, they sort of serve the business. Um, who makes the best leaders, Jason? From 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 kind of your point of view, there's there's a debate about the lack of women in leadership, the lack of women in design and manufacturing, and the lack of women generally in engineering. What would you say um, is the answer to that question? Is, is are women better at leadership than men? Are men better, or or is the answer something different? I think um, I think fundamentally, I think I think leadership is is a lonely place to be and a lonely role to play, isn't it? Really depending on how you go about it. And, and, and I, think, I think the best leaders are those that immerse themselves with the people, you know, that they get, they get into the detail. Um, but more than that, empower people to uh, effectively take ownership of the role that they perform for the business, really. And I think, you know, sincerity and, hon- and honesty in business, in any business, is so beneficial and actually critical if you're going to deliver things uh, to, the, to you know to, to their optimum um, to their optimum level. Um, you know, diversity is absolutely critical, and and I think with you know some of the work that we've done t- to, together, um, as if you know we've seen you know tremendous uh, examples of where that's happened. Uh, but probably the diversity that we yearn for isn't enough. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, the Rowan Croziers and Peter Brookers of this world are fantastically inspirational leaders, you know, and uh, delivered, you know, fabulous results, uh, even in trying times such as these. Um, but I think those are both people that are of the people. And I think, you know, strategy is all very well, but it's the people that will deliver it. I think in manufacturing, we are uh, a little bit, Slower in the manufacturing engineering, we're we're just that little bit slower. The diversity levels uh, within the sector are terrible, um, and I think uh, in in many ways uh, we, we're kind of uh, our worst enemies. We we tend to uh, it tends to be the situation that the manufacturing business is is run by an engineer, typically an engineer, um, and a, and an engineer's mentality is incredible. It is, I can solve a problem. That's what they do. That's what the, the whole mindset is. 
And, and in many ways, your best leaders aren't necessarily the ones who think that they can solve the problem themselves or that the problem is indeed theirs to solve. So in many instances, and this goes back a few years, but we, we were finding um, uh, leaders of manufacturing businesses writing their own software. You know, they, they obviously do it. I can learn how to do that. I, I can develop Coding this. in their spare time. Absolutely. And, and you think, well, hang on. You know, there are experts, brilliant people all over the world creating the, the most incredible technology and software code um, and, and leveraging every piece of input you could get. You can't possibly do this sort of thing. And it took a while for that, that to come through. So I think the fact that we have engineers in our uh, the heart of manufacturing businesses is fantastically valuable because they're problem solvers doesn't necessarily mean they're the best leaders. And it's, it's going to take a leap of faith for, for manufacturing businesses to pick the current HR director as the new CEO or the current um, design director as the new CEO. Uh, Apple being perhaps one example where they have done that. But, but that's the sort of thing. Instead of the best engineer gets the job of the CEO when that becomes vacant, we should look to a much broader group. And also, we should be looking outside the sector and, and bringing in people with completely different skill sets. Yeah, this is, this is something that occurs um, very often in, in the medical sector as well, Nick. You know, we have a friend who, who, who works in that domain, and, and he said, you know, um, brilliant minds, um, uh, you know, um, surgeons have. But try articulating the nucleus of the problem or the outcome of the operation <laughs> to the family. <laughs> yeah. That's no bedside manner. That's someone else. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, I, I used to do a lot of work in the legal sector years and years ago. And, and, and typically what would happen is the oldest person, the oldest partner in the business would become the, uh, the, the head partner and effectively the CEO or the one who had the best sales. So the, the, what they called the rainmaker, you know, the guy who brought in the most business. And it didn't necessarily mean in any way that they would be the best leader of that business. And it took a long time for the legal sector to realize that. And, and now they are typically uh, – uh, they would never promote from within or rarely promote from within. What they tend to do is bring in a leader from outside with a completely different set of skills, a different mindset, a different mentality, uh, different thoughts on business models and things. And I think the manufacturing sector is beginning to get that, but it could be a lot, lot bolder in bringing in leaders from, from outside or promoting from within different roles within the business. That's a, that's a really nice segue to, um, I suppose, one of the other questions that I wanted to kind of debate with you is like, we've defined what I think leadership is. It's this concept of serving the business. And, the, and Nick, I think you said the triple bottom line. We've defined, you know, what I like to think of the DNA of good leadership. Um, potentially somebody from outside of the engineering sector, but has clear vision, is able to articulate that vision. They're open-minded, they're collaborative, they're inclusive, and they empower people. They surround themselves with the right sort of organizations. So if that's the DNA, if that's the blueprint of excellence, um, what on earth can we do to raise the level of leadership that we've got in our industry? Because without strong leadership, um, I think our industry is just going to meander through you know, crisis after crisis. Um, so how on earth do we create the kind of leaders uh, and, and sort of, you know, business leaders of, of tomorrow? Um, Nick, what, what are some of the things that you've seen that kind of work or are interesting concepts? Um, so uh, I think we need to ensure that the, the current leaders of the business are, uh, except that they don't know everything, 
and that they can't solve everything. And we're definitely beginning to get there with that sort of thing. Um, again, drawing on the analogy from the legal sector, they understand the value of the knowledge that's in their heads and therefore in other people's heads. And so they put great stall on a continuous professional development where they have to, to uh, comply with certain regulations and, and, and attend a certain amount of events and, and read a certain amount of material each year. And I think something along those lines within the sector would be really good. An appreciation that attending uh, events, courses, conferences, online learning, uh, peer group networking, all of those sorts of activities are tremendously valuable. And Jason touched on it earlier that it's a des can be a desperately lonely position to be in. And I think if we can encourage manufacturing leaders to be more outgoing, be prepared to leave the factory for days and weeks on end to, to go elsewhere, visit someone else's factory, you know, go abroad and look at something, uh, uh, go to a technology show, you know, something I, you know, the, 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 um, uh, Autodesk run their own, don't they? And there's various others that, that, you know, that may look unrelated. Why do I want to go to a Google Cloud event, for instance? Well, we'll just go and see what happens and be inspired. Go to a design show. Um, go to China and look what's going on over there. And, and, and all sorts of things like that. I think if you could get uh, the manufacturing leaders to get out from the, behind the factory desk or the, the shop floor, you can make an enormous difference to, to their personalities, their, their outlook, uh, their vision, uh, and their, their entire leadership skills. And, and I think that would be a really good way to, to uh, make a sea change in the sector. That, that would make a difference for me if they had a bit more appreciation that um, uh, there is a lot to learn out there uh, you don't need to know it all in detail, but get out there and get inspired. Go to go to events, go to conferences, go to uh, exhibitions, go go and see things. Even if it's now in the virtual world, if you have to do it virtually, then by all means do so. Um, but that 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 would be the key for me. And it's a good point because um, there is so much now that's been converted to virtual. So I guess that there, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. But Nick, it sounds like this that the power to develop that leadership rests with the leaders themselves because you know as far as i'm i'm aware we don't teach these kind of skills formally like if you if you study engineering you'll go and do a degree or do an apprenticeship and that's a very clear defined path and you, you kind of know what you'll get at the end of it but i don't see anything equivalent or similar um in terms of developing leadership from what you said perhaps we don't need it but we just need to motivate and empower more people to kind of get out there and you know explore what's possible so um J jason why is that not happening then because I, I i'm not sure it is um are manufacturing leaders taking the time to step back from what they do and if they have the time to step back from what they do i, I wonder i wonder sometimes that's if whether um whether there's kind of an inane responsibility to refine and recalibrate your own internal systems and then once that task has been completed, you go back to the beginning and do it again. And, and I'll, I'll reiterate what, what um, Nick said, actually, that I think, um, you know, the regeneration and the re-energising the re of business relies on a number of different things, really. I think, I think education is one of them, and not necessarily academic education. I think education that comes from exposure to external communities like collaborating with um, people within your own sector and uh, tangential sectors to bring fresh ideas and fresh approaches. Um, 
and I think once you once you do that, once you become open to that, it says to your people internally that you are you're accessible internally because you're open to ideas. Um, you are um, you are illustrated that workforce that you you are collaborative and that you want to interact for the good of the organisation. Um, and it, and it, in return, it gives you access to opportunity as an organisation. Because you're open, because you are open, um, but I think I, I think that is a symptom. I think look, being inward facing and and revisiting, sorry, uh, and revisiting systems and the physicality of the business can be something that can be quite prohibitive. It's that classic uh, lean operational excellence, continuous improvement. That that internal focus on on saving, you know, uh, ten seconds here and five seconds here, and getting one more product out the door is great. And by all means, have somebody doing that, but it shouldn't be the leader of the business. They they should be out and about and and visit the factory once a week. You know that that's how it should be. That they're, they're looking at other things constantly uh, and checking that they're on the right path and that they're not missed an opportunity and and things like that. And I think what's really interesting about this discussion, as I've been listening to you both talk, is um, we haven't really mentioned technology at all. It's, it's, it, you know, yet again, it seems like the tech is irrelevant, particularly in, in a subject or, or an area of expertise like leadership. It's much more about the person and their attitude to leadership. It is, and actually, sometimes the tech is sort of fiddling while Rome's burning, isn't it? Or coding, coding when you should be. That's, that's the next example, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know maybe that's one of the side effects of having engineers as uh, uh, maybe that's one of the side effects of having an engineer as as, as, you know a leader. I'm not saying that engineers are are terrible leaders, but you know our natural oh naturally we're geeks, aren't we? We we like to fiddle, we like to mess around, and and that's a superb skill to have um, if you're solving technical problems. But you know maybe it's not relevant in in all cases. So I think that um, what I'd like you to ponder, or maybe even sort of uh, kind of share with us, is if if I was a uh, MD of a mid-sized manufacturing business, uh, say 200, 250 people, so like the real sweet spot of our industry, um, and I'm sort of mulling over the idea of I need to develop better leadership, um, and I came to you both and we had a cup of coffee, what would be the one bit of advice you would give me? The one thing, what is that one thing that I should do that would start me on my kind of transformation of, of my own leadership style or, or even putting someone in to, to run the company. Um, Jason, why don't we start with you? Get in the centre of your people, get in the middle of your people um, and and open yourself up to them. Uh, I think an insular approach to leadership is um, unsuccessful and, and, and flawed chiefly. chiefly. Um, I, I think... I think that the personality of a leader is, is all important. I think having that, um, I think having that sense of being, um, being open to being approached, uh, for want of a better, uh, better phrase, is is so critical, uh, and I think it's as fundamental as that. Great. So get in, get in amongst your people. Uh, and Nick, from from your point of view, what 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 advice would you give me? Yeah, I don't like the idea of just giving you one, So, but I will. Uh, I, I, we've got this rule of six at the moment, haven't we? Uh, um, I, if, I were the, if I were the leader of that business, I would go and find the six new leaders in that business and I would develop them as the team. So you, you, you get in amongst those guys, you get to understand the, the best six that you've got 
in whichever areas you have them, and you really focus not on developing yourself, but in developing them, so that you're almost making yourself redundant. If you can, if you can develop that group and trust that group and give that group the power and the the authority and the confidence to go and make their own decisions, then you are freed up to go outside and begin to to look around and see what's going on, which I think is the the crucial thing. So, so kind of there we have it. Um, leadership it it seems to be around serving your organization um, the best leaders seem to be open collaborative inclusive very kind of curious about what what might be possible they don't know everything they don't delve into the weeds of the technology or the features of the functions or the processes but they kind of surround themselves with the right people and so you don't necessarily, from what I've understood from today's conversation, you don't necessarily have to go on a course to, to, to develop good leadership. It sounds like we can develop leadership in situ whilst doing our job. And um, the top two tips that I've taken from this conversation is get in amongst your people and start scouting out for this kind of, you know, um, Magnificent Six. I know Magnificent Seven is the movie, but uh, well, can we can, can we stretch it to seven, Nick? Can we, we go can from six to seven? To seven. Okay. Like Just that. so it sounds as good as a soundbite. So go and find your Magnificent Seven of people that you ordinarily wouldn't think um, are, are, are the automatic choices for leadership, but go and look for the people with those qualities. And you know, whilst it's not an easy process, it sounds like that's the sort of thing that everybody could literally do tomorrow if they wanted to. Would, would you guys agree? Mm. Totally. I think that's exactly right. And, and it's 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 not a long, drawn out process. It's something you can you can start. You can make a mistake and get it wrong. You can go back. You can try again. It, 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 you just need to start. You just need to make that first move and begin to to infuse and energize and, and provide your 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 teams with the authority to go make their own decisions and let them make mistakes occasionally. Controlled. And do you think there's a network of people that, um, so again, put myself in the shoes, I, I'm, th- I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking, yeah, do you know what, Jason and Nick, they speak sense, I'm going to get this done, but actually I need a bit of help, Wh- where the hell do I go to kind of like get some help? And, I, 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 you know, Jason, I know you, you, you kind of hold, you know, have communities of people together, Nick, I know you guys are talking about communities, but how important is the sense of a community that you can tap into and just ask someone else like me? I'm thinking of doing X, Y, and Z. Did it work? Do those communities really exist? I think so. I mean, I think there are, you know, particularly within the, you know, the SME community, I think there are, you know, there are groups of people, many groups of people really that um, that will be open to having uh, conversations where they can share the same sort of pain that, uh, you know, that, we, that we're describing really. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a you know a, a rare issue. It's a it's a very common issue, I think. Um, and even if you know, even if those collaborators aren't going through it now, they certainly will have been. Um, so yeah, I mean there, there are lots of business communities, and and you know Nick, Nick's um, mentioned you know the importance of you know going out and meeting people and building connections. That's exactly the purpose of doing those things. You know, we've been to. Some of the things that that Nick's um, organised before, and um, you, you know, it, it, it's waiting there to be drawn on. Actually, you know, it's it's not a it's not a difficult thing to break into. Um, and frankly, if you're the sort of person that finds it very difficult to uh, go into those communities and to sort of form links and connections, then maybe 
Maybe you're not that, that lady you think you think you are. I don't know. Um, is that too? Maybe coding in a sort of quiet room would be better. Better role for you. If you yeah, maybe. Not, you, yeah. you have to. You have to be. You have to connect to people. You have to be able to identify with people. Uh, otherwise, you know, the aspirations of the business can't can't properly be met. I don't think. Yeah, I totally agree. There, there are lots of those communities out there, and, and you know, you can start with your own. Uh, professional institutions, so IMECE or IET, uh, with with trade associations, with um, uh, specific uh, media groups and, and things like that. And there are lots and lots of uh, forums and community sites and, and peer group networking opportunities. So I, I would uh, I would grab all of those. The only thing I would say, if you go down that road, you've got to be careful not to not to end up in a in a sort of pigeonholed world. So if you're you're in into a particular type of chemical engineering. Your your route to a better leadership is not to go and join the chemical engineering associations uh, uh, immediate group because the chances are they're going to be of similar mind to you and you need to join uh, something a little bit different, something more challenging for you. Yeah, I completely agree, Nick. I mean, we we, we spend a lot of time, Jonathan Lee, you know, collaborating with um, businesses uh, from a variety of sectors, and you know, we were at SMNT. We, where we make UK, um, you know, the, the FOBME initiative that we're working on at the moment offers, you know, a lot of business collaboration opportunity. Um, and those things are there for the taking, really. Um, get out there and, and connect with people, really, is my advice. Okay, so it sounds like um, the secret of leadership is to get out, connect with other people, outside of your normal sphere and create the opportunities that will take your business forward. So I want to thank you both for a great discussion. So we know that leadership is not an easy job. I think Jason, you mentioned it's, you know, it can be a lonely profession. We know that technology is is sort of forcing its way through our doors. And whilst it's, it's definitely there, it's definitely a tool to use, it, technology isn't necessarily the answer. And so I hope that some of the comments and feedback from uh, Nick and Jason have given anyone listening to this podcast some ideas of things they can literally practically try tomorrow or if they haven't um, I hope it's given you something to just help be a bit more sympathetic to your leader or your boss because uh, they don't have an easy job maybe you could go and help them so thanks for listening to the art of the impossible and uh, tune in next time